awesome. How you doing, church? Well, Pastor Gary, it is good to be here. Thank you for inviting me again. This is always special for me, and, and I want to repeat something. I said it last time. I'm going to say it again this time. I never take it lightly, the opportunity to do what I do, to travel, to speak, to share what's out of here. And I'll promise you one thing. I don't travel because I like to hear myself speak. I don't travel because I need your money or I even want it. I don't. I travel because what's in here is true, and it changed my life, and I owe God everything, everything. And it turns out, Pastor Gary, I'm not good at many things, but what I'm good at is sharing what's in here. Those are the skills, those are the gifts that God has given me. So if that's what I can do to praise God, just like you were talking earlier, if this is what I can do to bring God glory, it's what I'm going to do. So let's bring God glory together. I had a funny thing last night. I was practicing getting ready, um, going over things. And, and when I say practicing, I kind of use that loosely, like, like as if I'm giving a senior high speech on something. And I, it's not that kind of practice. When I say practice, I'm practicing getting my spirit in the right place to share the good news. There's a big difference. If you're going to share a speech that's pre-recorded in your head, you just want to sound good and get the points right. But if you want to come into the presence of God... You practice getting your heart in the right place so that you can convey the message accurately. There's a big difference between public speaking and preaching the truth, right? Amen. Well, my message today, which got all jumbled around, I had a, I had a fun time with this. Um, I, I, I don't know how I did it. I'm not super bad with technology. Am I getting a little feedback here? I'll turn that over here. There we go. I definitely am a loud speaker, and I don't need two mics, so I'll just use this one. I don't know what I was doing. I'm not terrible at technology, but I, I was going through my notes, and I changed something, and instantly the whole format of all my notes was different. <laughs> it was just all different, like all the titles. If you do things the right way, all the brackets were missing, and I was like, all right, we're going to go out of the heart on this one a little bit. Uh, but my sermon message, the title that the Lord put on my heart is this. Humility begets obedience, begets blessing. That's an old word, begets. We don't use that one too much nowadays, do we? No. Well, when I was a youth pastor, I did youth ministry for a number of years. And kids would come up to me and they would say, in these genealogies in the Bible, there's these long portions where I just fall asleep seven times, where it says, so-and-so beget, so-and-so who beget, so-and-so. Why does this need to be in the Bible? And it's a fair question. Like, people who don't ask themselves things are not interesting people. That's what I find. I want to know, why is that in there? Why is it important? And here's the deal. Let me tell you this. It's good for you to remember where you came from. It's good for us to look at these people. If you look at these names and you look in between those begets, you start to see stories. And if you read the scripture and you become a student of history, you start to realize why it's important that David beget Solomon. There are the important histories here of the begetting, we'll call it. Don't forget where you came from. Speaking of King David, let's use that as an example. King David. Now, David cheated on his wife with Bathsheba, right? He cheated on his wife with Bathsheba. And, and later on, he actually has a child, Solomon. Now, David had more than one wife, actually. He, he sinned against God in a few ways. And people, some people don't realize this. 
Just because the Old Testament mentions something doesn't mean it's being condoned in the same language or in the same speech. It's not being condoned. David had more than one wife. He had some problems, and God dealt with him mercifully, very mercifully. That's what the prophet Nathan extended to him. But David, the thing that he struggled with a little bit, Solomon, he begets Solomon. Solomon struggled with a lot. David had a few wives. Solomon had over 700 concubines. So these things of who beget who and where do things come from, it's important to remember where we came from and the things that have changed in us. It's important for you to remember who you were as an unbeliever and who you are now with Jesus because it should look different. It should be radical. It should be a new creation. So humility begets obedience, begets blessing. These things flow naturally. So the first step in humility or obedience is that you've got to be willing to listen to the command or call of God. You've got to have this open dialogue. You've got to be talking with the Lord. I really appreciated something uh, during our prayer time, our, our initial, um, what would you call it? Is that Sunday school? Kind of our Sunday school time that Cal had shared with us this video. And this preacher was talking about this, about this open dialogue. It's, it's listening and it's talking. It's both of these things together with the Lord. So we have to be open to these things. And, and really, through the scripture, I'll give you a few different ways that the Lord is going to speak. And you've got to be willing to hear through the scripture. But who can say amen to this? Some people distort the scripture, don't they? So there's more. God's given us more. Scripture is important. I believe in sola scriptura. Don't worry about my theology. We're good there. <laughs> but there's more. So we need the scripture. We need godly mentors and peers. Amen? You have to be surrounded by godly people. If you don't have those people in your life, there's nobody challenging you. There's no iron sharpening iron. I had a pastor friend. He said, if you want to be a better man, surround yourself with better men. For goodness sake, this is true for all of us. We need, pastor, we need peers and mentors in our life. That's another way that God speaks to us, all right? And lastly, through real prayer time. This is one of the ways the Lord speaks is real prayer time. And I'm not talking about your 30-second prayers to bless food that God's already given you. <laughs> I'm not talking about your prayer to get a good parking spot or your prayer, Lord, help me deal with my boss because he's a jerk and I don't like that guy. And the next thing you know, you're checking your iPhone about the weather for the next thing you got to do. I'm not talking about these little prayers. I mean real dialogue where you're, you're talking to the Lord and then you're silent and you're listening. Sandy, where's Sandy at? Sandy was telling me this morning, some of the times, this is so good what she shared. So often the Lord speaks in the morning. Because it's a time when you can be quiet, right? And you can hear him. That's an important part of the conversation. You didn't know I was going to use you in the message today, did you? <laughs> I will surprise you like that. I do it to Mary all the time, and then she kicks me when I get home. It's important that we have times where we can dialogue with God, where we speak and we listen. These are important things if you want to be humble. And you laugh at that when I talk about, like, the parking lot prayer, about getting a good parking spot. But I'm not joking I wonder what the percentage of prayers that the Lord hears that are like the, hey, Lord, give me, hey, Lord, I need, hey, Lord, do this, versus the, hey, Lord, I'm listening. Hey, Lord, speak, speak. Your servant is listening. Lord, what shall I do? I wonder what the percentage, the ratio is between us telling something to God and God and us asking something to hear. 
So yes, prayer time, real prayer time is important. And also, I want to include this in there because we're a Pentecostal church, right? We're a part of the Assemblies of God. Do not discount the fact that God speaks through the supernatural. Some people have a really boring concept of God where God used to do things in the Old Testament and then he did them in the New Testament, but now he just not, he's just not interested in you. He, he doesn't let you play around with the expensive things, right? No, God does. We do believe that God speaks through the supernatural. This is an important one. In the hierarchy of what we trust, we don't always put people's experiences at the top. That's why I said we believe in something called sola scriptura. This is pretty uniform. We believe that the scripture is a standard for truth, that we can trust it, that it's wholly adequate to guide us. So if somebody comes in with an experience that doesn't match up with us, we can say we might have a problem here. We need to filter things through this before we address this. But the supernatural in our experiences still count. These are good things, right? We don't discount somebody's experience if it lines up with this. And so is it okay with, with me sharing that now, the proviso of it's not always authority? Can I share with you a couple experiences from my own personal life? Uh, I always like to share a little bit from my own personal life because I don't want you to think that I'm preaching something that I'm not living I'm not preaching something that I, I haven't actually believed and had to wrestle with in my own life. And so let me share a couple stories with you of times where I've had to speak and, and God has, has or I, I've had to listen as God speaks, as it were. And man, I could share testimonies all day, but I, something that sticks out to me is Joel 2.28, where God says in, my last, in the last days, through the prophet Joel, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. And he talks about dreams and visions. Ever since I was little, it intrigued me, this idea of God speaking through dreams and visions. It's just, I don't know, it's just so interesting to me. I wanted to know what it was like. And as I got older, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Lord starts speaking to me in, in unique ways. And I start having awesome experiences. And I start having dreams. Dreams, and I, I don't just mean like you ate some weird pizza and you had a strange dream. I have plenty of those too. I'm talking about something different, very different, where you can discern and you, you just wake up and, and God is in that dream, and sometimes they may even be somewhat prophetic for some folks. I'll get into that maybe a little bit. So here's an example of one for me. When I was younger and I was a little bit more rebellious and I maybe wasn't always surrounded by godly counsel, and I was struggling with a, a sin problem in my life. And I started having a dream. And it was the same dream. And I would have it multiple times a week. And I had it for two years. Two years. Now, some of y'all have had the same dream or a similar dream a couple times, right? We've all had a, a dream a couple times or something similar. You go to the same place. I had the same dream a few times a week for two years. And here's what it was. This is weird, Pastor. This is weird. God does weird stuff. We do normal stuff. God does weird stuff. Here's what the dream was. In my dream, there was a person who I was supposed to be praying for who needed deliverance. And so I would go to them being faithful, and I would start to pray for them, kind of this half-hearted prayer. Because in my mind, I knew I was dealing with a sin problem. I wasn't really committed to the Lord. I hadn't handed over everything in obedience to him. I hadn't humbled myself to be obedient. And in my dream, after praying for this person of deliverance, a spirit would attack me, a demon would attack me in this dream, and it would get scary, and I couldn't even call on the name of Jesus. I couldn't even shout. I couldn't even talk. And this person couldn't be delivered in my dream, and I would wake up, and I, sometimes I would still be in pain. 
I'd be hurting, like my body would hurt. And I would just feel this presence, kind of an icky presence kind of feeling of, of evil and just an attack. I had the same dream and the same experience with the same imagery for two years, several times a week. So after a while, you can imagine, I'm sick of it. Even though my subconscious knows, you know what this is about. You know what God is saying. So I'm sick of it, and I pray, and I told the Lord finally, and sometimes you, you tell God things that you really ought not to tell God. Have you ever done that before? You tell God things that you shouldn't? I told God something I, I ought not to have told him. I said, Lord, I'm done with these dreams. It's real neat how you speak and stuff, but I'm done. No more, please. And that night, I didn't have that dream. And the next night, I didn't have that dream. And I didn't have that dream for quite a while until that sin problem became kind of a balloon and it had to be addressed in other ways. And suddenly that dream made more sense. God was trying to protect me. He's trying to speak to me. I had a sin problem. My effectiveness was not there in ministry because I was, I was living somewhat of a hypocr- hypocritical life. So God addressed that in me. And, and things started to clear up, and the, the ministry was there, and it was great, and I, I didn't feel the contradiction in my spirit. I didn't feel like as much of a hypocrite, you know, as the, as the claim goes. And I started speaking to the Lord again, and I said, Lord, remember when you used to speak to me in dreams? You used to speak to me in these supernatural ways. I wonder if you'd do that again, Lord. So I go to sleep, and that night I have a dream. And it's the same scenario. I'm like, ah, great, here we go again. It's the same thing. I pray for them. They're supposed to be delivered. Demon thing, scary thing attacks me, and I'm struggling. But in my dream, I noticed there was something different. I start to pray for this person for deliverance, for freedom. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit and the fullness that comes with that baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've had that experience... That power comes over me in my dream, and I'm praying for this person, and they're delivered, and that spirit is there in the corner hiding, and with shrieks and screams, he takes off, and he's gone. And I feel the presence and the freedom of God in this dream, and I'm just like reveling in it, in a dream, and I wake up, and instead of that nasty, icky kind of feeling I had for two years, can't exaggerate that, for two years, instead of that feeling, I wake up, and it's the presence of God. And I like woke up and I worshiped. Like it was so radically different. I could feel the difference in this. And, and it was just amazing how if I had been humble in the first place, let me tell you this, I'm leaving out a lot of details for the sake of time. If I had been humble in the first place, the obedience to listen to God about the dream of warning would have given me a blessing. But instead, God found other ways to humble me that I'm leaving out of the story. Like I said, for the sake of time, God humbled me, and he spoke to me, and he dealt with me. But I think I missed out on on kind of an early blessing in that. Can I tell you one more? This one's a little more uh, inventive, I would say, on God's part. This is is more creative, just speaking of dreams. So a few years back, like, I'm a big outdoors guy. I love outdoors. When we were at the beach yesterday, Mary and I went to your, your cross lake here, I think, and we went to the beach, and I'm like a little kid. Like, I'm picking up rocks, and I studied geology, and just people would think I was a nerd, because I am, and I, I love it. And so I'm picking up rocks and doing this, and uh, a couple years ago, I was getting ready to go on a backpacking trip, because I love the outdoors. Like, you just send me outside for a long time, and I'm very happy. That's my relaxed place. That's where I go talk to the Lord. I'm preparing for this backpacking trip, and we're going to go to a place called Chang Watana. 
It was a Native American name, and nobody in the area seems to say it the right way. Everybody's got 17 different ways to say it, but it's Changwatana over near Pine City in our area. I'm going to go for this backpacking trip, and I used to go backpacking in the winter a lot. And people usually ask me, what are you thinking? Are you nuts? Who goes in Minnesota and goes backpacking in the winter? I love that kind of thing. Okay, some people like ice fishing. I like going and getting lost in the woods. And uh, that, that's what I was planning to do, Pastor. You know, you know I'm kind of an outdoorsy guy. So I got all my stuff together, I packed it up, and you know how long that takes. It takes a long time to get a trip laid out, especially in the winter when it's going to be 20 below kind of thing. Got everything together. I go to sleep that night, and I have a dream. Did anybody see that blue van out in the parking lot, that wonderful beauty of a blue van? It's got a custom rust job all around the side. It's beautiful. That's mine. And uh, (laughs) so I'm ready to pack up. And in my dream, I'm driving that van out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere in Changwatana, going 10 miles an hour, and I crash in my dream. Thinking, what, what in the world? Why, how do you crash out in the middle of nowhere in Changwatana? That's a, that's a terrible thing. I wake up, and I feel like the Lord is saying a warning. Have humility. Go another day. Don't go today. But I'm thinking, Lord, I just packed up all this stuff, and I'm going to take my fancy new van, and we're going to go out to the middle of Changwatana. That's what I want to do today. So I lacked humility. Let's make that a marker for my message. I lacked humility to obey and receive the blessing that God had for me. So I packed everything up. I told the wife goodbye. We didn't have Aria yet at that point. She's hanging out back there screaming. If you hear a kid screaming, that's mine. <laughs> She's got some lungs. And I'm driving out there, and... Uh, you know, in this dream, I crashed at a very specific spot, a spot that I knew, because I know this area real well. Driving, I, I think I'm going to slow down, because what if I actually did get in an accident? I mean, there's no cell phone service here. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody else is going to be out here, except for the wolves and the bears, right? The bears are sleeping, probably. And once you know it, I come to this, this one spot, and I slow down to 10 miles an hour. So I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to crash. I'm, I'm a good driver. I used to drive for a living. I'm, just, I'm not going to drive into the ditch here. And I lose control of the car at 10 miles an hour on a fairly stable road. <laughs> no control. And I'm crying out to God going, what are you doing? And I put it in the ditch and I'm stuck. Just like the dream in the exact spot where my dream, where it happened. You can call it causation or, or reflex or something like that, but I'm telling you the Lord was warning me not to do it. And it gets worse, as most of these times do. You don't obey God. It doesn't seem to get better and better. It seems to kind of get worse. So I disobeyed God. I didn't humble myself, and I'm wound, I'm wound up in there, a place with no cell phone research, service. So I climbed to a high spot, and I'm making calls to the tow, tow truck uh, companies. And... Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a tow truck experience, but they have some flowery language to describe things from time to time, especially when you made a bad decision. So from company to company, they're telling me, there's no way that I'm going to take my heavy truck down a single track road and come rescue you out in the middle of Changwatana. Won't do it. And they hang up the phone on me. (laughs) I call company after company, and I thought, well, I'm certainly not giving them business in the future, I hope. And uh, nobody, nobody wanted to even talk to me as soon as I said Changwatana, because they knew it was a terrible place to bring a truck. And finally, I get a hold of somebody, and he says, yeah, I won't bring a truck out there, but I got a little track vehicle. It's like a little mini tank. And I, I think it was at $100 an hour, that's what you wrote down. 
He says, I charge $100 an hour. I live 45 minutes away from just the state forest that you're at. I'll come get you, but you've got to agree you're going to pay that money. I didn't have any options. I didn't have any money. And plus, I knew she was going to destroy me as soon as I got home. <laughs> so I said, okay, just bring it. Bring your little Panzer tank or whatever you got. Bring that thing out here. And I'm waiting, and it's a long time. And I'm thinking $100 an hour for a guy who makes, like, pennies an hour. <laughs> it's been a long time. And finally, it sounds like a World War II battle scene. I hear a tank putting along, coming through the woods, winds up and he finds me and it's two crabby old men. I mean, they were crabby like nothing else. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to talk to me. They're not in a good mood for their $100 an hour. And they hook up my van and just yank on the thing. And as they're pulling it out, they bust a fuel line. Now we're all stuck out in the middle of Changwatana, which nobody can pronounce the right way, with two crabby old men who don't want me to be there, and they don't want to be there now, and I've broken their tank. <laughs> so it seems bad. Like, the, the, the lack of humility seems bad at this point. The lack of obedience seems bad at this point. And I start to do the thing that got me into this place in the first place. I take out my little mini shovel. Does anybody keep a mini shovel in their car for, like, winter emergencies? Can I just make a suggestion? Let's all throw those away and get big shovels because when you're in an emergency, you don't want that little shovel. Come on, I was digging out there for hours with this little tiny four by four shovel, you know, like extends and it's worthless and I'm too tall to use it the right way. So I'm digging a hole again. I'm digging a hole. I'm trying to get my van out. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm stuck in way too much snow to get out. I'm digging a hole and the Lord says, are you ready? Speaking to my heart, and I'm thinking, yeah, Lord, I'm ready. What are we going to do? He says, I want you to pray about that track vehicle, and I want you to pray for those men that don't like you. And they're, they're in the middle of fighting. They're actually, I actually thought one of these guys was going to hit me at one point because they're so mad. They're fighting. They're screaming at each other. And I start to pray. Isn't it funny when we say we start to pray? I didn't pray at the right time, but I started to pray. I started to call on God. saying, Lord, somehow use this vehicle. Lord, somehow make these people nice so they will try this again. And the Lord says, tell them to try one more time. Try, try to turn it on. Does anybody know a lot about mechanics here? Kind of know cars a little bit? You know that when you break a fuel line, what's the use in trying, right? Fuel gets transported. And if it's broken, it doesn't get transported. So I say, hey, fellas, can we just try one more time? I got an idea. Maybe there's enough fuel left over. You can start it up. You can rip me out of the ditch, and I'll drive us all back to your truck, and we'll get some tools and fix your vehicle. How's that sound? I guess that's probably the best option we have now. <laughs> Grouchy old guy is screaming at me. and All right, all right. So I hop in my van, and he, he, it's a little power start. He hits the button, and it turns on. And I'm thinking already, okay, first miracle, check. It turned on again. And he rips me out of the ditch. Like I said, got my fancy van, so I was a little hurt that he ripped me out of the ditch so hard. He yanks it around, and he moves out of the side because he's thinking I'm going to start driving. But his tank keeps moving, and it keeps driving. And he says, well, get ready. I'm going to see how far we can get. And he keeps going, and miles after miles... We make it all the way out of Changwatana with a broken fuel line. Supposedly no fuel. 
that would be the assertion here. There's no fuel. And we get out, but it's been six hours at $100 an hour for a guy who makes pennies an hour at Changuatana, a city where nobody can pronounce it the right, right way. And these two guys who probably fought in World War II, I don't know, they were some grouchy guys with their little panzer tank. And this guy walks up to me after we just kind of argued a lot. And I've tried to be humble. I've tried to pray for him. And he, I don't know why. I don't know what hit him other than the Lord. And he says, why don't, why don't you give me 200 bucks? Just give me 200 bucks. You've had a rough day. We've had a rough day. Let's go home. And I just said, thank you, Lord. Has anybody had an experience like that where you did all the wrong things? Your humility wasn't there. The obedience wasn't there. But God somehow takes care of you anyways when you finally get on track. That's the thing I love about the Lord is he says, come to me as you are. He doesn't say straighten out your work and then come to me. He says, come to me as you are. So in that moment, even as a Christian, even though I had disobeyed a supernatural way God spoke to me, he said, come to me as you are. Let's work on it. And he got me out of that terrible place. Now that, that's a wild testimony, huh? That's wild. I still had to go home and explain that to my wife. That might be the biggest part of the testimony. She still lets me do that. <laughs> well, my... Sorry, I've got to move along here a little bit. My intention is not just to share personal experiences with you. I think it's fun to share personal experiences, but what I want to share is the authority. So let's turn to the scripture. If you have a Bible with you today, would you turn to Daniel chapter 3? Daniel chapter 3. When I was a youth pastor, I would always make it a game, and I would tell people, turn your Bible like your life depends on it. And they would jump over pews and roll over things to get a Bible like their life really depended on it. I don't know how much my pastor appreciated that use of the sanctuary very much. But they were animals at finding that scripture. Daniel chapter 3, like your life depends on it. And then let's go to verse 16. Daniel 3, 16. I love the book of Daniel. A lot of people don't read Daniel much because there's a lot of imagery and there's a lot of visiony things and it's some strange history in there and people were very primitive at this time in the world. There's something called progressive revelation. It's the idea that as humanity progresses, God reveals himself more and more to humanity. That's why some of the folks in the Old Testament, they didn't understand this Trinity talk that we use nowadays. They had a progressive revelation and Daniel is a very primitive time in the world. But he's an amazing person, and there's some amazing things recorded in here. Chapter 3, you know this story. Here's the background. King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has made an, an image, a false idol made of gold. And he's put this up in the center of the people, and he said, when we play this music, you guys come to my party, and you just bow down, and we're good. We're friends again, as long as you bow down to that big idol I made, okay? And nobody's going to say no to Nebuchadnezzar. Like I said, this is a primitive time in history. And people just didn't think that much of killing each other. All right? It wasn't that big of a deal for a king just to say, you walked into my court presence at the wrong time, behead him. This is the kind of thing that happened often. I'm not saying that is good. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God blesses that. But this is how primitive people were. So Nebuchadnezzar is kind of the main uh, negative character in this passage. Pick it up at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, at his, and his attitude towards them changed. Pause for a second. Hold your finger there. His attitude changed towards them for a reason. Nebuchadnezzar knew who these boys were. These people were already known to Nebuchadnezzar as officials in his, you could say, government, in his kingdom, as was Daniel. They had different names, actually. But these were people he already knew. And so it looks especially bad if your guys won't bow down to your idol in front of your kingdom. You know what I mean? It's bad. So it says his attitude changed. He went from, hey guys, I'm kind of mad, but I'm going to make you bow, to, hey guys, I'm going to kill you. Pretty quick. Let's see, pick it up at, where did I leave off? Let's pick it up at, he ordered. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than the usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, that's a way of saying they were trying to cover themselves up from the heat, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot, the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, pause one more time. Um, I notice that in the world, sometimes our obedience really looks like this to unbelievers. This is how they look at us. If you're, if you're disconnected from the world, let me give you a clue. They think the fact that we don't pursue sin, the fact that we don't talk like them, the fact that we don't often look like them, that our priorities are different than them, they think we look like this. Not that we won't bow down, but that we're bound with a rope. How many times have you heard somebody who's mocking Christians and they're saying, well, that pastor, he just wants to control you, or the church just wants to tell you what to do, and they just want to wrap you up in this rope. They're going to bind you up. This is, the, this is the way that the world looks at our obedience and our humility to God. They think we're all bound up. What they don't recognize is they are on the gallows of sin, and their neck is in the hemp, and the floor is about to open up into eternity. And that rope is on them. This is what the world doesn't recognize about us. Check it out at verse 23. Let's pick it up there one more time. Verse 23. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of, of the gods. I just love this passage. I was actually reading this with somebody real late last night. I was kind of sharing them with them the story of Daniel, like 1.30 in the morning. I was up way too late last night. And we both were just getting chills at this language. 
Because Nebuchadnezzar, he's not an educated man. He doesn't really know what he's talking about when it comes to religion, but his words are so powerful. He says, I see four of them, and one of them looks like the son of the gods. So he's looking to a fiery furnace that's burning white hot, probably, and one stands out. How incredible is that? He sees God in the fire. It's amazing. And I noticed that in this passage, the ropes that are around them, that were meant to bind them, melted off in the fire. Let me just try to preach out of this passage for a second. I think if we as Christians, if we would realize that when we humble ourselves and we obey God and it looks like we're bound, it looks like we're restricting ourselves, really what's happening is God is just melting off the resistance. When we're tested by fire, when terrible things come into our life, don't always be the person who says, well, clearly it's Satan. That's all Satan. I'm not saying God sends things to you or causes you to hurt or does things to you. He's not a vindictive God, but God allows us to go through trials. And yes, fiery trials, hard things, terrible things, things you would never wish on your worst enemy even. He allows us to go through these things at times to produce fruit, to free us from these ropes that sometimes get around us. And it's good for us. One of the problems that the atheistic world has is they'll often bring up the morality argument, the idea of morals, and they'll say, well, here's the thing. How could this good God let all these bad things happen to these good people? Well, first of all, show me a good person. (laughs) Not one of us is good. But let me address something when it comes to the morality idea and argument. This idea that that God has somehow allowed evil to happen to good people. Being a finite person, you don't even understand what you're going to do with your day. You're not even sure. When your car breaks down, you probably have a little of an idea, but you don't know that much. We're so limited. If you're telling me that the God of the universe can't come up with a good substantive reason to allow you to go through a struggle and produce something better? You're saying that this God, this infinite God who knows all and does all and in all of him is goodness, he can't come up with a good reason to let you go through something? Well, you are really limiting your idea of God. I would just encourage you to let God express himself and be himself, which he calls love and goodness. Broken world, perfect God. This is what it looks like. So obviously, in this passage, humility, which is one of our core tenets here, humility doesn't always look the same. Sometimes humility can come across as strength or stubbornness. Look at these boys. They would not bend a knee. It probably would have been a simple thing. I'm sure a lot of people nowadays, in, a, in another way, if we, if we were to convert this into a modern thinking, and I'm going to in a second, it's not that big of a deal to them to just bend a knee real quick and move on. These boys were stubborn, and that stubbornness offended people, and it bothered people, and it really bothered Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes our humility and our obedience looks like stubbornness. You know what I mean? In this culture, I hope you know what I mean. There's a lot of people with a lot of nasty names for Christians nowadays because we're stubborn. Pastor, you know what I mean? We're stubborn. We don't want to sin. We don't want to change our standards. This doesn't change with the ebb and flow of society. So people get bothered with us in our obedience. 
So they hear the sound of the harp and the lyre, and they won't do it. They're stubborn. But I, like I said, I want to make this relevant. And he, let me be careful with what I'm going to say. I want to be careful. I don't want to point a finger at a particular group. But you come up with your own mind of where this is relevant. I see in this generation for Christians, there's a lot of different maybe denominations or groups of thinking where they're falling to world secular pressures. And they may not be bowing down to an idol that's been erected that's clearly a false god, but they'll bow down to secular pressure in the world. A new thought, a new way of doing things that contradicts the scripture, contradicts what the Lord has said for us, and they'll easily bow down to this new thought, this humanitarianism that, dis- that kind of disguises itself, when really what it is is saying, ah, that old book, Ah, that God of yours, he's more flexible than that. He doesn't really mean that. He didn't really need to die. It was just a nice gesture. This is what we see in certain denominations. And really what they're doing is they're bowing the knee to the false idol of secular humanity. They're walking away from the standard of God. They're walking away from the truth. And they don't recognize they're wrapping themselves up with the rope again the things that God wants to use the fire to free us from. If you haven't recognized it lately, I encourage you to maybe do a little research. But the church is under a lot of heat right now. There's a lot of fire right now towards the church for our stance on biblical Christianity, the core essentials of what we believe. We're not even talking about fringe things or periphery things anymore. We're talking about essential tenets of the faith. There's a lot of attack, and most of it is coming from, supposedly, within the body. Within denominations that we used to have some fellowship with. Attacking the good book. Attacking the truth of the scripture. That should open your eyes a little bit. But let me encourage you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said one thing, and and, uh, it's so good. If you read on in this story, uh, Nebuchadnezzar ends up like praising them and saying, hey, whoever believes what these guys believe, they're safe. If anybody says a word against them, cut them into pieces and kill them. Like I said, primitive times, primitive guy. But there's a fiery testing going on in the church right now. And these boys, they were actually promoted. When Nebuchadnezzar got done with this whole thing, he said, here's the deal. These guys, their their religion is protected. I'm not promising you that, by the way. He says, their religion is protected, and also, they are now elevated. I'm promoting them. I'm giving them more money. I'm giving them power. They're going to hang out with this Daniel uh, character. His name was Belshazzar. That's who he called him. Nebuchadnezzar called Daniel Belshazzar. He said, they get to hang out with him and do kind of whatever they want. I'm going to give them power. So what I follow in the scripture is not that God wants you to be rich, not that God is going to give you power. That's not true. But what I see is humility In the same way a river flows, humility flows into obedience, which flows into blessing. So for you, it may look different. Now, Mary and I, we are not rich. Is that true, Mary? Is that mostly true? Yeah, mostly true. We are not rich. God doesn't care that we are rich or poor. He doesn't need money. Did anybody recognize that? God doesn't need money. He doesn't need it. He doesn't care about money. It's silly to him. But he gives us skills and abilities. And I truly believe that if we humble ourselves, it means those skills that he gives us, those abilities, they're accentuated because it gives him glory. And as we obey God, 
I think we're going to see his glory higher and higher. And the obedience itself promotes blessing in our life. I've met a lot of people who are, they're believers, but they just don't feel that fulfilled. They're not sure what to do in so many areas. They feel kind of empty at times, feel a little bit lost. And I kind of ask them what their obedience like is like in their life. And they, they immediately is, the response is usually something like this. Well, I'm not living in outright sin. So that's great that you're saying no to sin. Are you saying yes to God? There's two parts to obedience. No to sin, yes to God. What is he calling on you? And when, when you follow that calling, I truly believe at church, there's a blessing in it for you. Sometimes it'll demand a fiery testing. But there's something on the other side of it where there's a promise of scripture that God is going to take care of you. If I had 10 hours to preach, I could go to Moses, I could go to Abraham, I could go to a lot of people and preach the same message. That's how consistent the values are here. That humility flows into obedience and it flows into blessing in your life. Is that true, church? Amen. Amen. Can you stand with me? Can we close? So I opened my message by saying that we have to have dialogue with the Lord. We have to talk to him. It's important. So let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we want to humble ourselves before you. Jesus, just as I've been preaching today, I've been looking out. I see so many awesome people. I see so many people who their heart is open and they're ready to be on fire for you, Lord, consumed from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would use these people as they humble themselves and they obey naturally, Lord. I pray that you would bless them. For some of them, Lord, it's going to be relationships. They need a blessing in relationships. For some of them, Lord, it's going to be a blessing to know their calling, to finally have their eyes opened, saying no to sin and yes to you. And for some of them, Lord, maybe it is finances. Maybe they need to, to be taken care of. They need work. They need something new. I pray for that fresh wind in their life, Lord, of receiving. Help us to receive the good things from you, Lord, and to be prepared for the tough times of testing, both hand in hand, Lord. Bless these people as we go from here. Help them to consider these thoughts, consider these scriptures, and to pursue you more and more. We pray that in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for being here. I think we might have some refreshments, and I'll pass it off to uh, Pastor Gary. Thank you. Andrew, appreciate that.